we gon' get
special good evening to all of you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Revolutionary Plastics Hour. Thanks once again for tuning in. My name is Andrew. I'll be your host for the rest of today. We've got about 35 minutes left of it, so let's make the most of it, you and me. What do you say? Uh, we started things out after Richie's show with GQ doing a cover of Boogie Oogie Oogie, uh, best known a song uh, best known by the by the original version by A Taste of Honey. And the GQ version, I think, is pretty cool, and it's it's fun, and it's interesting to hear a cover of a song like that. Um, but I don't think anyone can hold a uh, a Gibson Les Paul as intimidatingly as the guitarist from Taste of Honey, as seen on the cover of that record, which you probably would know it if you saw it. It's great. They look awesome. These two women holding a bass and a guitar. Following that was Bacara. Speaking of two women on a record cover, I got this album, I got this single, it's these two women sitting uh, sort of back to back in a sort of, you know, opulent, luxurious setting, and the title just said, Sorry, I'm a Lady, and I thought, I have to get this record, and if it's even like 10% as good as it looks, it's going to be great, and it was 100% as good as I wanted it to be. Followed that with Neil Young uh, and a single, 12-inch single, from his uh, Trans album, when he started dabbling in uh, high-tech electronic gadgetry like uh, the vocoder. Controversial at the time. It was one of the albums that led to David Geffen, his label owner, uh, suing him for non... what was it? Uh, for uncharacteristic uh, output or something like that. Basically for making records that didn't sound like Neil Young records. Um, they settled. He, he dropped it, I think, I don't know. After that was uh, 100 Proof, Aged in Soul. That's right, it's a band name with a parentheses. 100, 100 Proof, parentheses, Aged in Soul, end parentheses, with Don't Scratch Where It Don't Itch. So it wasn't Bob Seger, um, but you could be forgiven for thinking that. Followed that with The Sweat, with Why'd You Have to Lie, and then was Ohio Express doing Mercy. Where are we? Okay, I think we have time for a couple of... Um, I have a lot, I have a, a lot more music to play for you, and I also have... I want to read a segment to you from this book, and it's called The Future of Drinking by Gilbert Seldes, and it came out in 1930, and it's it's one of the most scathing, vitriolic indictments of the American drinking habit. The American, America, the drinking habits of Americans, in, in particular, I think, the shoddiness of the cocktail construction that was going on at the time, uh, and it's just wonderful piece of vitriol. So I'm going to read that in a little bit. For now, let's um, let's do a public service announcement. Uh, I'm going to read this. I thought it said intro to animal experimentation, but it doesn't. It says intro to experimental animation at IS 183. Local animator and educator Dina Noto will be offering a brand new animation class at IS 183 Art School of the Berkshires this winter. Intro to Experimental Animation is an eight-session class on Tuesday evenings from 6 to 9 p.m., beginning January 31st. Contact Amy Butterworth at 413-298-5252, extension 100, or amy at is183.org. And that sound of, of music fading out is the sound of awkwardness. Hang on one second here. Yeah. <laughs> 
Now I, I, uh, I should have warned you that I was about to do that because I, I feel like it's, it's, it's a host's duty to give his guests notice when he's about to do something thoroughly unprofessional and amateurish. But, you know, I'm trying to keep you on your toes, I think, is more, more the approach that I like to take. So, since I've got a little grace period, let's do the second public service announcement uh, for the hour, and then we'll be done. Then, then we'll just have it out of the way, so let's swallow the pill and just do it. The Duke's Men of Yale, a night of love and heartbreak with the Dukes. Saturday, February 11th, 8 o'clock p.m., get your tickets now, at the Unicorn Theater... Uh, I didn't say get your tickets now, I'm just saying that because it's, it seems pretty far in advance, but I guess it's only about a month in advance. The Duke's Men of Yale are thrilled to return to the Berkshires on February 11th in honor of Valentine's Day. They will perform classic love songs by such artists as Shaka Khan, Billy Joel, Sam Cooke, and the Jackson Five, along with newer songs by Adele and Rihanna. As one of the most beloved collegiate groups in the country, the Duke's Men have performed everywhere from the White House to Lincoln Center. <laughs> and also outside of Washington, D.C., I can only imagine... Uh, and recently headlined a concert with Glee's very own Darren Chris. For information, uh, contact info at thecolonialtheater.org. So, let's, um, I've got some more kind of like power pop that I want to throw your way, and then we're going to get into that, um, this lengthy treatise that I have to read to you from The Future of Drinking by Gilbert Seldes from 1930. And I, I believe I'll be playing... A selection, a, a section of a Mike Oldfield composition underneath it. That's right. So in the meantime, um, I'm going to fade this this back up. This is Nobody's Smiling, which is a collaboration between uh, Blockhead, a New York-based um, hip-hop producer, and DJ Signify. And I'm not sure where he's from, but he was sort of from uh, the other the other camp, the anti-con camp. And that's a whole other ball of uh, can of worms, etc. Um, I'm going to fade that back up, and I'm going to cue up something else, and we're just going to just keep the party going. We've kind of slowed down a little bit, catch a groove, but uh, I'm going to knock it up a notch. Less talky, more blocky.
to face Well, there's no danger here You can come with me
Dr. Johnson, on the other hand, said that people who lack taste in food and drink are likely to lack taste in all other things. The American drinker not only let his natural taste atrophy, he positively corrupted it in the 20 years preceding Prohibition by drinking some of the foulest mixtures known to man, in which he debased pure liquors, imported nauseous flavorings, and defied the laws of harmony and decorum. Of that period, Mr. George Jean Nathan has written, The popularity of the cocktail marked another debasing of the alcoholic art. Following the Martini, Manhattan, and old-fashioned whiskey cocktails, the inaugural cocktail trinity, there descended upon the American scene 101 ridiculous mixtures without rhyme or reason that made sorry mock of respectable and intelligent drinking. The Bronx cocktail brought orange juice mixed with its gin, a combination akin to mixing prune juice with Pilsner. The Clover Club idiom idiotically took gin and shook it up with, among other things, the white of an egg and raspberry syrup. The Colonial performed the atrocity of defiling its gin with grapefruit juice and maraschino. The cream fizz went in, clown-like, for gin and sweet cream. Other masterpieces of the prevalent alcoholic blasphemy were the chocolate cocktail that churned an egg, bitters, port wine, and sugar. The cider cocktail that juggled gin, cider, lemon peel, and bitters. The duplex that took in a liberal dash of Horsford's acid phosphate. The coffee that added mocha and java to brandy and port and the Metropole that performed with gum syrup, Peychaud bitters, orange bitters, brandy, and French vermouth, not forgetting the Narragansett that mixed whiskey, absinthe, and Italian vermouth. There were also the so-called Puritan, made up of yellow chartreuse, gin, French vermouth, and orange bitters, the Rob Roy with its scotch whiskey, Italian vermouth, and bitters embellished with an olive, the Trilby with its acid phosphate, rye whiskey, and calisaya, and the Tuxedo, with its unbelievable amalgam, amalgam of gin, sherry, and Italian vermouth. In the way of miscellaneous mixed drinks, there were the champagne cup, that heathenish hodgepodge of champagne, sugar, lemon, orange, berries, cucumber, brandy, maraschino, white curacao, sherry, and mint, the golden fizz with its lemon juice, sugar, and yolk of an egg added to the gin, plush with its ungodly alliance of champagne and claret, velvet, that combined champagne and stout, and the well-known port and starboard, composed of one-half orange curacao and one-half creme de menthe. The Pousset Café sought to gain an audience for itself by grating raspberry syrup, maraschino, orange curacao, yellow chartreuse, green chartreuse, and brandy, the royal plush by stirring up champagne and burgundy in equal parts, shandy gaff by combining beer or ale with ginger ale, the silver fizz by merging the white of an egg, lemon juice, and powdered sugar with gin, and the Syracuse cobbler by taking proud Medford rum and fusing it with ginger ale and lemon rind. As if all this was not enough, the alcoholic morons of the land proceeded then to a further corruption of their heaven-sent nectars by using ice in places where ice was as completely ruinous as it would be to a Welsh rarebit. Ice in claret became so general a thing that everyone still remembers it. Tom and Jerry, prepared hours before it was due to delight the tonsils, was preserved by putting it temporarily in the refrigerator, where it promptly lost what could never be recaptured by subsequent heating. White wines were chilled out of their quality, and even the lowly Chiantis were robbed of what bouquet they may have had by putting cracked ice into the glasses. 
I have drunk Moselle in those days that was made indistinguishable from colored ice water, and Burgundy that was so cold I couldn't make out its flavor. Even beer, save in the emporia presided over by Bavarians and Bohemians, was often iced to the point where its foam took on the appearance of dry shaving lather. Champagne was kept lying flat on its side by 99 Americans out of every hundred who drank it, instead of being faintly tilted toward the cork, and so was gradually impaired beyond recall. Beer, in most American homes, was served in thin glasses that effeminized it. Port was guzzled at the height of summer, and sparkling somers were often poured into cut glass pitchers and allowed to stand around on tables awaiting the moment of their service. Heavy wines, such as Chambertine, Pomard, etc., were abruptly decanted, their temperature lowered instead of slightly raised, and so made mock of. Stout was treated as if it were beer. The finer Bordeaux were assaulted before their eighth birthday. The sweet Dordon wines were served with meat and fowl, and Chablis Mouton 1904, the princess of its breed, was served after the soup. Precious bourbon was contaminated with ginger ale. Brandy was ignited to amuse the children. Tokay was served in sizable water tumblers, and the divine blood of the Gironde country was often actually sucked up through a straw. That such a people and such a nation do not richly deserve the visitation upon them of the 18th Amendment to their Constitution, I have considerable trouble in believing.
lies in the hands of those who understand the words. Came a long way to drop this. Took airplanes and helicopters. Touched down to touch base on certain issues pertaining to the place and time. Here and now. And if you don't know, you're getting shown how to fit the puzzle together piece by piece. And see the picture develop and increase to high definition. Coming to life when you differentiate for real from pretend. And though the time we spend here may seem to fly, will linger in your mind's eye. A sight you saw assures the universal law. Less is more, more than ever before. Dreams capable of being said for the head. This is a vision. This is a vision. Ladies and gentlemen, 
I apologize. It sounds like there were some skips in that that section there, and uh, I'm not convinced that it was uh, the record, but I think possibly the bass was a little too heavy. I think it's a little too much of a booming track. Um, this is the Revolutionary Plastics Hour. You're tuned to. Let me just read here. WBCRLP 97.7 FM, Great Barrington, Berkshire Community Radio, streaming live on BerkshireRadio.org. This has been the Revolutionary Plastics Hour. It's been my pleasure to hang out with you and and play this music for you uh, for the last hour. Um, I just played, that was a group called Downtown Science with their song, This Is a Visit. And uh, it's a production by Sam Sever who did um, a lot of work with uh, Run DMC and um, Third Base, did most of the first Third Base record with Prince Paul and uh, his collaborator Bosco Money. And on this track they sampled The Who and Pink Floyd because why wouldn't you? At the time it was fine. Um, Let's see, the other thing, and then before that was uh, Kid Koala with Space Cadet. And then uh, before that was the, the promised reading from the book by Gilbert Seldes called The Future of Drinking over um, a Mike Oldfield Oldfield song called Her Just Ridge, or a composition, I suppose. It's an entire album. Um, and I just want to continue a little bit. There's a footnote at the end. So the concluding line, that such people and such a nation do not richly deserve the visitation upon them of the 18th Amendment to their constitution. I have considerable trouble in believing. And that was a, still at the, the end of a lengthy quote from this guy, George John Nathan. And uh, there's a footnote that says, and at that, I have quoted from the American Mercury only half of Mr. Nathan's magnificent tirade. Now, the great thing also is that he continues, um, not George Nathan, but uh, the author, Gilbert Seldes. If this revolting catalog is correctly dated, that is, if all the drinks listed were prepared and drunk before prohibition, the bill of complaint against the woman drinker is perceptibly diminished. The woman drinker is far more tolerant than the male of sweet liqueurs and does not know that only a handful of drinks are appropriate after a meal. Brandy, Armagnac, which is brandy, Mark, preferably a Bon Vieux Marc de Bourguignon, Calvados, and as a last concession to a taste just barely rescuable from perdition, Cumul. The woman drinker's effect on the taste of drinks is due partly to her lack of experience, to the fact that she began drinking in a country already low in taste and when liquor was beginning to go bad. But another item is the superstition among men that her ideal drink approached as closely as possible the ice cream soda and the banana split. The men in self-protection wanted her to drink mild drinks and thought the way to gain their end, not too flagrantly, was to give her drinks a slightly sickening in flavor on the, on the supposition that a suffering woman is preferable to a drinking or drunken one and viscous with whipped cream. Perhaps then, the only novelty introduced to make drinking pleasant for women was the new nomenclature of drinks. If the Alexander was a popular drink with men before Prohibition, and was not their concession to the few women drinkers of their acquaintance, the leering and suggestive names of drinks were certainly invented by men to add piquancy to the nauseating mixtures they offered. They called them Between the Sheets, and searched the catalogue of penny candies and French perfumes for Love Nest and Kiss Me Quick. They tried so hard to suggest that drinking was aphrodisiac, and so hard to forget that drinking, in any decent civilization, is an end in itself, even if it be a bad end. So that's just a a little bit of an excerpt from The Future of Drinking, and that that comes to you from 1930. So, I mean, this is even before sex on the beach and the slippery nipple. I mean, I think he was really ahead of the curve on on all that uh, hogwash and monkey shines and shenanigans and such. 
once again, thanks for listening. My name is Andrew. This has been the Revolutionary Plastics Hour, and I'll be back with you next week at this time, 11 o'clock on Tuesday evening. Come on. What, what do you got better to do? I'll see you then. <laughs>